This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. It's now time for you to sit back and prepare for insights on your walk with Christ. Let's join today's message right now. so excited about what God is doing in our church and as our uh, family of faith today. I'm excited about what happened yesterday with beautiful Minnesota summer weather. Uh, we had the men's uh, gathering, we had the meeting, and uh, had some great steak, had salmon, uh, we had venison, we had uh, beef, we had, I, we had meat I didn't even recognize, but taste amazing, and then uh, it was all grilled in different ways. So much fun to be able to connect that way. I wish summer would last a little longer here in Minnesota. Don't you all wish that? And uh, got to make the most of it while it's here for the five minutes that it does last, right? Today, we're going to be jumping into our second message in the Gospel of Mark. Throughout the summer, we're studying the Gospel of Mark. And uh, today, we're looking at a portion that's in that uh, three and four, chapters three and four. We're going to be drawing from there. I want to encourage you to read along throughout the summer. And if you do have to travel or you're out of town or unable to attend, make sure you catch up or that you join online like a lot of our Emmanuel family that's at home right now. Welcome, guys, as well. Today, as we're jumping into uh, Mark chapter three in a moment, I want to actually start out at the end of the story of the Gospel of Mark. So will you turn with me to Mark chapter 16? We're going to look at the very end of the story and then we're going to see how it ended so then we can trace back how it actually started out. Mark 16 tells us of that final moment when Jesus is commissioning and, uh, and, and, and he's dispatching his disciples and saying, you guys now have to carry the baton. You need to carry the message and the mission that I've started. And look what happened. Mark 16, verse 15. And then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Can you say everyone with me? Everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages or in tongues. They will be able to handle snakes with safety. And if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. When the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And the disciples went everywhere. Can you say everywhere? Everywhere and preached. And the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. I love the end of the story because it's an open end. It doesn't say, and sadly, that's the last time humanity ever saw a miracle. It doesn't say that. It says anyone who believed, when this message, the good news is preached everywhere, to everyone, anyone who believed, who accepted it, received it, was able to see this reality in their life, was able to see that God still heals physical bodies. How many believe that? How many have experienced physical healing? I have. How many believe that God continues to use the gifts of the Spirit? One of those being being able to pray in the Spirit, pray in tongues. How many believe that God continues to do that? This is something that I practice daily. How many believe that God continues to set people free and bring victory into their lives? Amen? He continues to do this. 
Now the whole snake handling thing, we're not going to do that at church today. We're not going to drink poison either because we believe the message behind that is that God brings divine protection. We don't need to test them. You know, we don't need to say, well, Lord, be with me, Lord, as I grab this cobra. And I know we don't do that. We don't need to like try to corner God and put him in a spot. But we believe that everyone who has embraced the good news, the message of Jesus is able to experience God's transforming power in their life. And then God works through them. Like how that last phrase says, the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. God's signs and wonders are actually his signature. They're his, if you will, marketing strategy, his way of getting our attention and reminding us that there is something much greater, much bigger, much more filled with hope and purpose and faith than anything that we can see on a natural plane. I love that today we can believe that God still works miracles. We're going to pray for miracles at the end of the service today too with our prayer teams. Mark, John Mark, who is the author of this gospel, he actually was not one of the original 12 disciples. He was someone that got added to the story later on. So he didn't actually get to see a lot of the things described here firsthand. But what we do learn from tradition is that he, he traveled with Peter, with the apostle Peter, and he served as Peter's interpreter. Peter didn't know how to speak Greek. And as he was traveling through different cities of the Mediterranean, he needed to have this interpreter that would go with him to help him communicate the message. You might not be aware of this or might not know it, but this is the first role that I had when serving at church is I was an interpreter. And, uh, and so whenever there was someone that in Argentina that would come that was English speaking and they would come and they would preach, I would stand up next to them and I learned from the best. I learned from my dad. My dad said, you need to imitate everything they do. And if their inflection goes up, then you inflect up and, and kind of match whatever the tone is. And if they go low, then you got to go low, you know? And so then if they move their left hand this way, you mimic it. You move the left hand the same way. If they run this way and they're illustrating, you run right after them, right? And the more you can match what the speaker is saying, the more invisible you become. Because the, the more that you are communicating, that you are, you're, you're, you're just channeling the same message, the less of a distraction you are. And so in, in these years of, of, of serving as an interpreter down in, in the church world, interpreting the English, interpreting the Spanish, you've seen me interpret for my wife when she's praying and closing a service at some point. Uh, what we'll do is, you know, we're, we're saying, this is not my message, but I'm communicating it with the passion as if it were my message, right? And Mark, who traveled with Peter, learned of all these stories. And then he communicated them with the passion of one who had seen it firsthand. Because he, just like you and me, did see Jesus. He did experience Jesus in the same way that we have. Jesus has stepped into our story and he has impacted us. He has made all things new. He has transformed our life. How many say amen to that, right? And so I love that John Mark, as he's writing this, as he's telling us these stories, he's not saying, well, it may or may not have happened. Some people say, no, he's saying, this is actually the account. This is what happened. Jesus is always on the move. He's always active. He's always doing something. We know how the story ended and we could, you know, like many movies start three years and a half earlier, and then we have to kind of reconstruct. There's a moment 
that set everything into motion. There's a moment in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus, you know, he'd already started preaching, he'd already started ministering miracles, and he says, you know what? I'm not gonna be the only one to live this out. I want this to grow and be replicated. I want anyone who believes to be able to catch this fire and be able to carry it wherever they go. And so it says in Mark chapter three, if you wanna turn there with me, you can find the message notes on the app as well. Mark three thirteen says, afterward Jesus went up on a mountain and called the ones he wanted to go with him. And they came to him. And then he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. And they were to accompany him. Other versions, uh, like the NIV or the CEV, would say they, so that they could be with him. Not only accompany him, but so that they could be with him. He, they were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. These are the 12 he chose. Simon whom he named Peter. Peter names, it means rock, you know? So it's kind of a, you know, let's kind of take it as a compliment, Peter, right? You're a rock, you're sturdy, you're strong, but then he might be also saying you're kind of stubborn, you're kind of rough around the edges, you're kind of, you're kind of dense sometimes, Peter. So I, that's the thing about nicknames, right? He said, you shall no longer be known as Simon. You will be known as the rock, right? And uh, not Dwayne Johnson. Peter from the, from the Bible. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed them sons of thunder. And you had to say it that way, sons of thunder. You had to say it that way, right? And so I don't know why he called them this. I don't know if they were like, they had explosive personalities, they snored loud. Uh, who knows where they got their nickname. If I was one of the 12, I would, I would have can I be named Sons of Thunder, please? You know, and whenever he's like, who did you call Sons of Thunder? And I'd be like, yeah, flexing, you know, whenever he's calling my name. I love that, Nick. I, where did he come up with that? He calls them the Sons of Thunder. I think it had to do a bit with their personality. They were always like, we're going to call fire down on heaven for anyone that doesn't agree with us, right? And so he's like, yeah, you guys are, you guys are crazy. So then he, you know, he also called Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas. Thomas in, in the Gospel of John, we know that he nicknamed him the twin, Didymus. Thomas, so he had a twin. The twin didn't make the cut, but Thomas did, and he's the twin, right? James, the son of Alphaeus, Phidias, Simon the Zealot. The Zealot, that's a, he was a, like a militant. He was a revolutionary. He's anti-establishment. He was anti-Roman Empire, and so Simon the Zealot, right? Always dressed in, in camel, and, uh, and, and he was just part of the crew. And then Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. I love that Jesus called each of these individually. He knew them by name. He knew them by name. He knew their shortcomings. He knew their weaknesses. He knew their strengths. He, they'd gone to growth track. They'd done the assessment. They knew what their passions were. They knew what their, what their skills were. They knew what their, their, their history was. So he knew them well. And then he, he said, I want you guys to come and be with me. The first invitation he made was for them to be with him. And it all starts there. And that's really the turning point of our story as well. But it's so easy to lose sight of that. Because he didn't say, I want you to come and I've got assignments for you and I want you to, you know, I just got this checklist that I want to hand out. 
And uh, no, he was interested in being with them. First things first, Jesus invites us to a relationship with himself. If we ever lose sight of that, we begin to live something that's a bit of a distortion. We're limiting our experience in the faith. In, 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 you know, we're not called to just be part of church programming. We're not called to just go to activities or go through the motions or, or recite a creed or answer the right questions when it comes to doctrines. We're not called to, to be part of a movement, a philo- philosophical movement or a political movement. We're called to the person of Jesus. And you're like, well, that's great. Where is he? You know, he's, he's within reach. Jesus would say to Thomas, blessed are those who have believed without seeing. That's us. We're blessed. Because we know that he is with us always the same way he promised. Being with him involves spending time with him, quality time. It involves having a conversation with him. It involves talking, but it involves listening. One of my favorite things to do if I do have a, you know, like a lunch time that I'm going to spend in, in prayer, I, I love the summer here because I'll pick a, a park that's close by and I'll go and I'll take a walk for half an hour and either listen to scripture or worship or just walk and pray and talk with God, pray in the spirit and then just being outside and, and, and you know, I'm reminded of, you know, so many of the Psalms say that the creation declares your glory and just being in God's creation reminds me of the fact that he is sovereign, that he's got a plan and it's intentional quality time dedicated to him. Maybe you're, you're a, more of a morning person. You're like, I need to beat the sun every single day. I need to be up before the sun is up and I need to have my coffee and my Bible and my quiet time, my journal. And if that's you, send Jesus greetings because uh, he has told me that I'm not lucid in the morning. He's like, I'd prefer to talk to you later on in the day. (laughs) Maybe you're more like me. Maybe you're more like you're more of a night owl or you're more like, you know, and so then you're like, God, I'm here. But it's, it's that it doesn't matter when you do it, but be intentional about being with him, simply being with him, not here to fix anything not here to check a task off a list. We're just here to be entirely present for each other. How many of you know that we can be surrounded and still be isolated and lonely? How many know that? I mean, we can be sitting together at a coffee table and both of us on our phone. We're not really together, right? But when we're intentional, when we're acknowledging each other, that's what he desires. And from that relationship stems everything else. First things first. So how, how are you pursuing that time with the Lord? That's, we never outgrow that. That's got to be foundational, central to our life, to our walk, throughout our journey. The first invitation is to be with Jesus. His invitation is intentional, specific. He calls him out by name. He's not just randomly saying, you, 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 you. Okay, who did I end up with? No, he's picking his team. His crew, his OG, right? This is the 12. They are with him on the journey, not just that moment, but ongoing. He's walking with them, teaching them, sharing life, eating together, facing challenges, overcoming challenges, laughing together, weeping together, praying, everything, doing life together. And he calls them out and he singles them out and then he gives them nicknames. Some of you are like, oh shoot, you just stirred up trauma because I hate the nicknames that I've received uh, as a kid, right? I remember when I, one of my first jobs that I went to work at, they're like, you know what? 
We're not going to call you by your name anymore. We're going to call you Casper the Friendly Ghost. And so, <laughs> so like, you're pretty white. And so uh, they call me Casper. That was my, they, hey, Casper, how's it going? Good morning, Casper. Not so proud of that nickname, right? Jesus, on the other hand, he assigned names that he wasn't like making fun of people. He was, he was calling out greatness in his disciples. Think of a, a couple months back, uh, my wife, Analia, um, one of her nicknames that her mom exclusively uses, no one, I'm not allowed to use this nickname with her, is instead of Analia, it's Anita. Look, little Ann, Anita, right? And so I don't, it'd be really strange to hear me calling her Anita because that's just something that her mom, you know, has used and I've been threatened to not use it. So, but in prayer one day, she was praying and listening to the Lord and, and she felt like he, he whispered to her, Anita, and then began to speak of things that he wanted to affirm in her and encourage her and just in that conversation. And all of a sudden, that, that prayer time became so intimate because it wasn't just you know, praying to a concept. It was the person who knew her so deeply, so well, as intimately as her mom. And uh, that's the, the relationship that God desires with each and every one of us, that he could speak to us in such a way that it would be a, a voice that would be distinct and different, deeper, and more personal than any other voice, and that he could he could bring encouragement and hope and freshness into our perspective and that he could hear us and that we could be completely unfiltered and honest and, and, and humble and, and broken the way we are and just say, God, this is what's going on inside. He's like, I'm glad you've noticed. I've seen this for a long time. Can we talk about it? The calling to be with him is our first and foremost calling. And it's not just for a moment. It's for us to practice daily. So I want to encourage you, make room for his voice. Make room for studying scripture. Make room for, you know, if you, the Bible app has been huge for me. Just making sure I've got scripture in my day every single day and leaning into his voice. Then what happens is, as each of the disciples say yes, they're like, Simon. And he's like, yes, here I come. And then Andrew gets called. Like, okay, cool. And then all of a sudden, they each respond individually, but they find out that this is not one-on-one -on -one tutoring. This is a cohort. They're part of a group training experience. And they're like, why did you pick him? Why is he standing here? You know, Matthew, the tax collector, the pro-Roman empire, the one who's helping to fund the invading force, ends up standing right next to Simon the Zealot, who comes and looks at Matthew and he goes like this right away. He's like, you know, better sleep with your eyes open, right? And then he's like anti-Roman establishment. And how is it that Jesus recruits both of these who are so polar opposite and makes them part of the same family? So as we say yes to Jesus, then he says, hey, meet your family. Thank you for responding to my invitation. Now meet your family. These are the people that have also said yes. They're on the journey with you. They're going to be there to encourage you. They're going to be there to support you. They're going to be there to, uh, yes, maybe laugh if you stumble, and then they'll help pick you up too, right? 
and they, they're fully human. So just want you to gauge your expectations. None of them are perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but they are committed to me. And because they're committed to me, they're committed to you. Meet your family. And I love that as we respond individually, I can't do it for you, you can't do it for me, but as we say yes to Jesus, all of a sudden we find ourselves in incredible company. Incredible com company we would have never chosen. Because we would tend to always uh, kinda project or reflect ourselves. Like I would surround myself with disciples that are all bald and bearded, right? No one with hair is allowed. Only capillary challenged men are allowed, you know, that are my same age bracket. We all tend to gravitate to those who are like-minded or similar season of life or, you know, or have the same political slant or view or have the same idea on certain topics. And, and we filter people through that way. And then we unfollow or we snooze or we just block, you know, depending on where they stand. But Jesus calls us to a relationship with him that becomes stronger than any other allegiance in our life. Stronger than any opinion, stronger than any background or cultural formation or political standpoint. And his, his centrality in our life is so strong that we can love people even if they don't 100% agree with us or they don't think like us on certain topics because his person is a stronger unity than any difference in our lives. I want to encourage you to practice this exercise. Who is your crew? Who is the people? Who are, who are the people that are surrounding you? If they all look like you, you might be missing out on other people that Jesus has called, that he has made part of your family, and that you might just be missing out. And uh, in that variety and that diversity is the beauty and the strength of our journey. So as we say yes to him, as we meet this family, we recognize that we are better together and that God also brings that variety to enrich our lives. Ecclesiastes 4, chapter 4, verse 9 through 12 says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easy broken. I love this portion. I love using it in wedding ceremonies as well. And I love what it represents. It's, it's broader than, than the marriage relationship because it's really about living connected to others. We are not designed to live in, in solitude and isolation. We are designed to be connected to Christ and then connected to others. If you've been at Emmanuel for a minute or two, you've heard about Redwood Faith. And this is central to who we are. We believe that God has brought other people in our life to enrich and strengthen us. And he has placed us in their lives so that we can also strengthen and encourage them. If we're together, we have greater odds at, at conquering more, of achieving more, 
of having greater wages for our efforts, of you know, being protected if we do stumble and fall. Someone's there to pick us up. But woe to the one who stumbles and falls and is alone. And if we're together, then we can stand back to back. We can have each other's back and we can fight to see victory in each other's lives. And if there's a third chord, if Christ is woven into the relationship, into our friendship, that's not easy going to be broken. But if we try to do life in isolation and alone, and we just feel like faith is so private that, you know, success for me is that no one even knows that I have faith because it's that private, you know? And so if that's the case, maybe God doesn't even know that you have faith, right? So it's got, we need to have a faith that impacts our relationships and it, and it strengthens our friendships with those who have been placed in our life and we've been placed in their lives. How many say amen to this, right? From the Garden of Eden, God said it's not good for humanity to be alone. Today at the end of the service, we're gonna celebrate communion. And we're going to be reminded of the fact that each and every one of us has been impacted by the sacrifice of Jesus, that his sacrifice, his brokenness has made us whole. And we're going to be reminded that there's a, a covenant agreement that we have established that God has said, I will extend grace and forgiveness and newness of life to you. And we've said, yes, God, we receive that. And we commit our lives to living for you and not for ourselves. We're going to be reminded of that. But it, isn't it interesting that communion is something that we practice together? It's a common union that we practice together. It's not something that we do privately or off on our own. We're called to remember that we're not alone in this, that we are together in this journey, much like the disciples as they begin to learn how to walk together and learn how to encourage each other and learn how to overcome obstacles together. So this new community that Christ had set in motion was on their way to change the world. And, uh, and then one of the things that, that I want to emphasize as we're concluding our thoughts on this, on this portion is that every time Jesus would call someone and say, come, and they would come to him, come follow me, he, it wouldn't just stop there. That wasn't the end of the story. At some point in the journey after come, he would say, now go, okay? Come, the invitation, and then comes the commission. Now go. I'm dispatching you with a purpose. I'm dispatching you. I'm sending you with a purpose, with the mission. So first we respond to him. We come to be with him, like it says in, in, in Mark 3, 14. We come so that we can be with him so that we can be one of the community that he has formed, and then he would send us with the purpose and the intention of carrying what we have discovered, the freedom, the peace, the grace, the newness of life, the victory, and that we could carry that message and share that message with everyone everywhere. Now, this is not something that you can opt out of. It's not something that you can say, well, yeah, I mean, we sponsor a missionary, don't we? We can check that off the list. We're active. You know, no, this is, and I'm not saying you're like, oh, shoot, is he going to like redeploy me? They're going to tell me I've got to move to a different continent. Maybe so, maybe not. It doesn't always mean that you got to move overseas. It might mean that you got to go to work with the mindset of, of being on mission, of being sent to work. 
Now, I remember growing up in, in, uh, in going to Bible college at one point, I was surrounded by uh, the community of faith on every front. So I had believers in class. I went to church. I served in church. And then I did a work study at the Bible college. And at one point, I, I had just become kind of insulated. If you ask me, well, how many friends do you have that, that are far from Jesus? I would have answered really quick. I don't have any. Because all of a sudden, I was completely insulated and isolated from, from the world around me. And God challenged me. He said, I want you to go and work in a, in a place, in an environment where there's people that don't know me. So I went and I worked there for really low pay, $1.70 an hour. So I was not there to get rich, but I was there because I was on a mission. I was sent to be able to make an impact in their lives. From that moment on, I've tried to find different outlets where I can always make this a life goal. This is something that I practice, that I strive to practice. I try at least once a week to have a conversation about faith in Jesus. And you're like, oh, you're one of those creepy, weird people at the grocery store. <laughs> and standing right in front of you. And then you turn around and you're like, close your eyes. Repeat this prayer after me, right? No. <laughs> I don't do that. No, that's weird. Don't do that. You shouldn't do that either, okay? I have real conversations, you know, where I listen also, not just talk. It's not like, hey, I've got a 90-minute pitch. Can you please listen? I'm not going to breathe while I do it. That's, no, let's just, you know, and so I, I try to, I listen, I pray, I look for the opportunities. Because I look for them, I recognize them. If I'm not praying and I'm not looking for them, I'm not, I'm going to miss them all over the place. And sometimes it can be as easy as just saying, talking about how meaningful that my relationship with Jesus is and that it's not really a religion, it's more of a relationship. And maybe that's, that's the seed that needed to be planted. But I try to at least have one conversation about faith in Jesus every week. And it's hard when you work at a church, unless your colleagues backslide. That doesn't happen at Emmanuel, though. So um, I, 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 I always want to make... And then it's so easy to, all of a sudden, before you realize it's been a couple weeks, you haven't talked to anyone, and you've stopped realizing that you are sent. One of the main things that we learn about Jesus is he didn't only nickname individuals, he named his crew. He said, you know what? I got a name for this band. You guys are my sent ones, my apostles. And I want you to understand that that's your identity. You are sent. You're never not sent. You always are on task. You're always on mission. That's the nickname. That's what our crew is called. Here come the sent ones. And that's not just the original 12. That's us as well. We're always sent to communicate and share what we have discovered, what has impacted our lives. How many believe that a life-changing moment can excite you so much you can't stop talking about it, right? How many believe that? I want to tell you about a life-changing moment that happened this last October for me. Just changed, changed my outlook. I was like, why, why did it take me so long? Why, did, why didn't I discover this first? And so... Uh, remember we had just moved and then I was, you know, we were getting set up in our, in our new spot there in Blaine and I, and I discovered something that completely transformed my life. I'm going to ask my, uh, uh, friend Udo to help me out here. He's going to bring something. I discovered how magical weighted blankets can be. <laughs> this thing is 25 pounds. You bet. You know what? I think you've helped me first service to service. You've been, you're looking buff already. <laughs> this thing, the, stitch, the stitching on it makes, makes it so that all the little glass balls inside 
They don't only go to Analia's side. They say on my side as well. This thing is not hot. It's, it's like it's, you, can, you can use it in the summer. It's just amazing. I feel like taking a nap right now. It's so soothing and comforting. It's like, it's like a back rub while I'm preaching. It's just amazing. And if anyone talked to me during the month of October, I am certain that you heard about my weighted blanket. Because I would start every conversation saying, I don't get commission for this, but, and then I would send you the link for you to look it up. And then I'm like, then I started doing research. I'm like, 25 pounds feels so good. I wonder what 50 would feel like, you know? <laughs> then you're doing sit-ups every morning as you're getting out of bed, right? It's just like, you're just like, you can't move. And so at one point, I kid you not, I was so enthusiastic about my weighted blanket and just how life-changing it was that I actually got some conviction. This is a true story. God, God spoke to me. He's like, you really like that, that blanket? And I said, it's amazing. And Jesus said, you, I mean, Jesus, you should get one. <laughs> you would love it. You would love it. I am, I mean, you just, you need to try it out. And he's like, wow, you really, you're like really passionate about this. Yes, I am. Everyone, everyone should experience a weighted blanket. Everyone everywhere, right? And then he's like, wow, it's been a while since you speak about me with that same enthusiasm and passion. So Udo, I'm, I'm gonna need you to take this away. I'm feeling the weight of guilt in not only these beads. Can we get up for Udo real quick? Thank you so much. Why is it that I can get excited about a weighted blanket, a new podcast that I discovered, an app that's practical, a restaurant to eat at, seasoning for my steak? Why can I get so excited about trivial, dumb things like that and be passionate about sharing it and wanting others to experience it and then be so restricted when it comes to sharing the biggest life-changing moments in the history of humanity? Have I been conditioned to think that faith is too private, that we just don't talk about those things? That, you know, it's, it's best to kind of steer away from things that might be rub people the wrong way. What if, what if it ended up transforming them and I'm worried about rubbing them the wrong way and they could find freedom and hope and purpose in Jesus? And, and, I, and something changed and clicked in me and I've, and I've renewed my commitment to say, God, I need to step up my game. I need to improve. And again, I'm not that guy at the grocery store that starts a conversation by saying, would you close your eyes, please, right? It's about listening. It's about finding a moment. It's about being an interpreter just like John Mark and saying, can I communicate this message with such passion as if it were my own so I can get out of the way and not be a distraction to the message so that you can meet the person of Jesus today? Because everything will change if you can only meet him. It's not about events or church programming or it's about the person of Jesus. And my prayer is that as a church, we would grow in this as well.
because it's so easy to lose sight. We may be great at gathering around him, but the picture is incomplete if we don't go. And that story at the end of the Gospel of Mark, that's, just, that's not the end of the story. It's an open ending. It's for us, for everyone who believes. When something changes our life, we can't help but want to share that. We want others to experience that. In fact, could you just close your eyes right now? Open your hearts. There's people in this room that I want you to experience this. I want you to experience weight being lifted off your soul. I want you to experience the power of forgiveness, not only God's forgiveness, but his power to forgive yourself. I want you to experience freedom. I want you to experience a fresh start, a new beginning. I want you to experience completely new perspective and mindset. And it all happens when you hear that invitation from Jesus specifically calling your name. It's very intentional. He says, if you'll come, if you give me an opportunity, I will make all things new. And before we go on in the service, I actually want to pray with you right now. And this could be that moment that sets everything in emotion. That moment that transforms the rest of your story in your existence. Maybe this is all new to you. Maybe this is something that you're familiar with, but you've kind of drifted away. It doesn't matter. Today is that moment where he says, hey, this is an open invitation. I'm not going to impose it on you, but I want to offer it to you. And if you say, you know what? I want to take Jesus up on that invitation. If you say, I want that newness of life. I want a fresh beginning. I want my life to forever be changed and to live with purpose. I want to say yes to Jesus. Can you just raise your hand where you're at? Just raise your hand. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Up in the balcony as well. God bless you. God bless you. Count of 21 different hands that have been raised that represent moments of encountering the person of Jesus today, making room for him to be at the center of your story. Can you just do the following? Repeat this prayer with me. And make it your own. Just say, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of hope. Thank you for the message you've given me today. Thank you for calling me out by name and inviting me. I accept your invitation. I ask you to forgive my sins. I ask you to make me new. I ask you to give me a future. I ask you to heal me and restore me. And ask that you would be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Can we clap and just thank God for the miracle of salvation? Thank you, Lord. It's always going to be a miracle. It should never get old for us. It's the beginning, it's the essence, it's the foundation. We never stop being sent. We're always sent. We're always on mission to bring hope to the world around us. Can you take the emblems of communion? 
I'm going to read a portion of scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. As we take a moment to remember, here's how communion works. We remember, we look back in gratitude. We look to the present in humility and honesty and acknowledge that there's areas of our life that we need to bring back into alignment with God and his purposes. And we look forward to the future in hope knowing that Christ will fulfill every single promise and that he's got an eternal destiny for us. So you take the bread, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, for I pass unto you what I received from the Lord himself on the night when he was betrayed. The Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, today we hold this bread in our hands. God, it's a symbol of Christ's body that was broken so that we could find wholeness. And it's also a symbol, God, of the fact that you have made us part of an amazing family. We are one body in you. And today, God, we celebrate the grace that you brought into our story. We celebrate that we are not alone on the journey. You made us part of an incredible family of faith. And God, we renew our gratitude to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's eat. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Jesus, as we hold this cup in our hands, we're reminded of that covenant, that agreement that we made. Lord, 21 people just made it a minute ago. And we're reminded of the moment when we said yes to you. And today, God, we know that you remain true to your promise. You continue to strengthen grace and mercy in our lives. And God, we renew our commitment to live for you and not for ourselves, to follow you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's drink together. Thank you for listening to Emmanuel Today. You can learn more about the various ministries that Emmanuel offers and see Sunday services live every week. Check out emmanuelcc.org for details. Please be sure to tell others about this broadcast that they could enjoy next week at this same time.